0: This podcast is sponsored by Small Farm University, the go-to resource for gardeners, homesteaders, and farmers around the world. Small Farm University delivers classes online and on demand with training on how to grow crops and how to grow a profitable farm business that serves you, your family, and your community well. Delivered by real farmers with hands-on experience and expertise, it's unique in its approach, using the Ripet Method for growing and building a farm or farm business. SFU membership includes access to a private Facebook group and monthly live Q&A sessions where you can get your questions answered and find the support you need. To learn more, visit growingfarmers.com today. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with yet another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today, my guest is Sam Oswald Tilton, who is the organizer of the upcoming Midwest Mechanical Weed Control Field Day in Ohio. After earning his master's degree in horticulture from Michigan State, Sam has worked many roles in vegetable farming from tool development to teaching on sustainable horticulture. He also serves as a direct market vegetable educator, offering education and support to Milwaukee area vegetable growers. Sam, welcome to the podcast.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Michael.
0: Absolutely. Give us a little bit of your background. How did you get into farming, and uh, kind of who was your inspiration?
1: Yeah, I I grew up in the city, but in Milwaukee. But uh, just gardening with with my mom and dad, and you know drives out to the country and things like that. Um, And uh, I went to college. And uh, I got out of college, and and uh, I was really into architecture and carpentry, and I was doing that. Um, and then uh, I started reading and thinking a lot about climate change and peak oil. And uh, I, I thought about what was a responsible way to live. And it seemed to me that the only sort of responsible way to not add to the problem was to farm with horses. And okay. so I, I connected with an Amish person and... Um, and uh, Peter Smith out in Hillsboro, Wisconsin, and, and spent a season farming with him with horses. And uh, and that, that took me down the rabbit hole. And that was, I don't know, maybe 17 years ago or something like that. And um, then I, I just had the vegetable growing bug. And then uh, along the way, you know, all the wonderful farmers and technical assistance providers that just kind of provide education and inspiration, you know, so... Um, like your pod, podcast is so great for new ideas, and and back for me that was Chris Blanchard, you know, and taking a moment to remember him, and through his speaking, and through his consulting, and through his podcast, all the different um, ideas that that he connected uh, me with, and a lot of other growers, and and uh, a lot of the growers, you know, he gives you an idea of um, someone who's already doing something, and you know who to get a hold of, you know. So Chris and and all the other farmers and conferences over the years really just kind of push that forward. And since then, whether it was on a farm or in the university or in a research plot or in the classroom or wherever it is, I've, I've just kept on uh, my interest in vegetable growing.
0: Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Chris had a great podcast and uh, his thing was, I think, keep the tractor running. He ended every podcast with that.
1: You got it. Yeah. And the, and the yeah. Tractor soundtrack.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's dive into kind of like um, your your current work. So you're doing um, some education support to Milwaukee, but you also have a pretty big interest in mechanical cultivation. So talk to us a little bit. I know a lot of folks are, you know, still using the old hoe. um, But what would you say if someone's interested in really starting to mechanicalize what they're doing? Where would they get started?
1: Oh, wow. That's a that's a can of worms. And e- even if I'm able to talk for like two hours on that, I always say there's not enough time. But anyhow, uh, it, it, if you're jumping in and it's something new, um, I think a really good thing to think about, one, is start slow, right? You want to kind of crawl before you can walk. And for that is, um, well, one, start by cultivating one row at a time. A lot of people want to jump into cultivating two, three rows of crops at a time on a bed. Um, but if you get one row down, it's gonna be a lot easier and the tools and the techniques that are serving you for one row will still work when you kind of scale up and increase those rows. So I would I would say one, don't get too ambitious. Think about one row at a time, whether that's with a nice wheel hole, with a walk behind tractor, with a four-wheel tractor, etc. cetera. Um, the other kind of foundational thing that, that I really suggest people think about is what I call their cultural system. Um, or to simply put it, uh, kind of your your crop spacing. So if I'm talking to someone and I say, Well, what are your what are your crops planted at? And they go, Oh, I don't really know. Or they say, Well, some are at 12 inches and some are at eight and some are at this, and it's whatever the employee set the cedar to. And then mm-hmm. I then I think, hey, let's back up here. So a if you want to mechanically weed, you've got to have um, the uniformity that machines need, right? Humans are wonderful and we can figure stuff out, uh, but machines can't. And so um, another kind of foundational thing to to up in your weeding game, especially if you're starting at a hand scale is picking out that cultural system. And, you know, I've written articles about it and and there's a lot that can go into that just because um, uh, there's different strengths and weaknesses of each system. So, uh, for example, something like Elliot Coleman or JM48 on a 30 inch bed um, with that really tight spacing that first of all, that's great. That's a cultural system in those in those books. Um, you can see a really consistent spacing for all of those crops and the hmm. sort of rationale of why you would give your cabbage more space to head out than your, um, uh, you know, lettuce that you want to keep smaller heads, whatever that is, but all that rationale. But that 30 inch um, uh, cultural system, for example, and 30 inch beds, what it does really well is increase um, profit per acre because you're fitting so many rows in, You know, so if land's expensive, that's fantastic. But the closer that you fit your rows, the harder it is to mechanically weed. And so for example, in that 30 inch system, while you're really increasing um, your dollars per acre, what you're uh, what you're also increasing is the dollar per acre labor that it takes to weed it. So other cultural systems that are maybe three rows, fifteen inches apart, or eighteen inches apart, or even the conventional growers I work with that might grow with uh, on a one row system, you know, one row like forty four inches apart, um, they're making way less money per acre, but because they're spaced more widely. Um, they can really use weeding tools to advantage. And so they really reduce the amount of labor per acre needed. So just to say it's not right, wrong. Um, you get different things with the cultural system that you pick. So one, choose a cultural system, but two, put some thought into why you're going to choose it and um, and how it's kind of best fitting your, your conditions.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, I think we're actually here at the farm. We're on five um, nine inch rows. Um, I mean, there's so many different variations in those, I think we could get, yeah, we could argue about this for 15 minutes, about which is the exact right spacing, but it really comes down to the crop. It really comes down to your experience. And I think it really comes down to your soil type.
1: Yeah. And, th- and then there's all the nuances with that. So for, for example, I was talking to, um, Peter Seeley at Springdale Farm about cabbage and he says, well, if it's cabbage for his CSA box, he's going to space that tightly, right? Cause no mm-hmm, one wants mm-hmm. to get an eight pound head that, you know, they're eating off of for three weeks. That's a turnoff in a CSA. So he'll pack those tightly. But if he's selling, um, uh, processing cabbage or making a slaw out of it, then he just wants giant heads to get that tonnage. And so then he'll space them more widely and get those giant heads. So, you know, right. Each, each Mm -hmm. scenario, you know, you can pick slightly different things.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so let's, okay. So we talked about that a little bit about that, that spacing and making sure that's key. I think the biggest thing too. is uh wheat seed bank let's talk about the weed seed bank because i think that's super and what types of weeds you have that's too massively important sure comments.
1: maybe the the two things to say at the top is that if people want to learn more um ann and eric nordell and o-r-d-e-l-l uh in pennsylvania really have a lot of fantastic resources on weed seed bank and kind of cultural methods to control weed seeds so just look up anything by the nordells um and then the other thing is there's a fantastic new book that just came out from Sayre. So way to go us for paying our taxes to fund that. And that is called uh, managing weeds on your farm. And it's available for free online as a PDF download or get the book, whatever. But those two resources, I think, you know, anyway, if, if you want to dig into more fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, in terms of a weed seed bank, Early on, I would see these pictures—the work of, um, of Dan Brainerd and Eric gallant and they would take pictures of um, different farm soil, and they would collect soil from a farm and take it to the greenhouse and give it uh, perfect, um, you know, temperature and moisture, and see what germinates. And you could really see in in a brand new farm—you know—a carpet of weeds would germinate, of course. But mm-hmm. then, from soils like the Nordells, who have been practicing these cultural weed control techniques for thirty years plus, almost no weeds would germinate. And as someone interested in weeding tools, it was clear to me that my weeding tool is going to work better when there's only a hundred weeds than when there's ten thousand. Uh, so then I started thinking, oh my God, how can we control weeds before steel even gets into the field? Uh, mm-hmm. And then we start talking about all these interesting. Um, farming practices like rotation uh, and types of tillage, what tool you're going to use and how deep do you run the tool um, and the type of weeds that you have. So for example, in the back of that managing weeds on your farm book, one thing that's so incredible is there's a little section on every uh, horticultural weed. And Mm. it's not too what I would say scientific, forgive me my scientist friends, Um, It's just very applicable. And so just like if you were going to have a karate match against um, someone or say a chess match, you might do some research into what do you know about them? What what can you expect them to do? How can you best parry their punches, etc.? And so these chapters are are the same thing for weeds. So, for example, you can learn um, about gallon soga, right? Huge problem for people. You can Mm -hmm. learn that, um, one, the seeds love to germinate again and again. If they're left shallowly in the soil, they're going to keep germinating. Um, And two, you can learn that when they're buried deeply, one, they won't be able to germinate. But two, um, unlike a lot of other seeds, the gallon soga seeds, Will um, deteriorate and die rapidly within a lot of them, just one year when they're buried in the soil, and so something like that. That's where you know you can start to outsmart your weeds. Um, so, for example, when you have, say, after you harvest lettuce and a lot of gallon soga, you know you know how quickly it grows and how quickly it flowers and sets seed. Um, and so, after you harvest lettuce, if if you have gallon soga there on the surface one idea kind of knowing the the personality of that weed, if you have the time, um, is to give it a little time, uh, that bed for the gallon soga to germinate. And if you need to, you know, run through with very shallow tillage um, so that you're not burying those seeds too deeply and give them time for those seeds to germinate, maybe even irrigate them if you can. And you can germinate a lot of those seeds uh, out of the soil. One big thing to realize with the weed seed bank is, Um, unless you're going to kind of sterilize your soil with with steam, we can't kill weed seeds, we can only, um, we can only have them sprout and kill them when they're alive, or we can kind of manage them in the soil so that they can decay and die on their own. uh, But we can't directly kill them. So it's Hmm. thinking about, okay, um, uh, where do I want my weed seeds? Uh, Maybe, for example, Uh, I want them on the surface over the winter so that um, mice and insects and birds will eat them. And they'll eat a huge majority of weed seeds if they're left on the surface. Um, Mm -hmm. On the other hand, let's say that for whatever reason, next spring, I've got to plant carrots where I had um, all that gallon soga or lady's thumb or whatever it is go to seed. Well, then I can't really risk uh, planting a weed non-competitive crop in where all those weeds are on the soil surface. So then when I think about my tillage, I'm probably going to want to choose both a tillage tool and to set that tool in a way that buries those seeds more deeply. You know, the rule of thumb um, is that most horticultural weeds germinate in the top inch and a half of the soil. And that's just a rule of thumb, but it's really helpful. And what that tells me is either, you um, Either I can have the seeds within that top inch and a half and expect them to germinate, or if I can bury them uh, deeper than that, they don't have the energy reserves to come up through. So, for example, um, when Hans Bishop in Illinois is thinking about planting carrots, if he had a whole bunch of uh, weed seed rain that previous summer or fall, maybe if he had a sweet potatoes there, he's going to think real seriously about his tillage and what he can do to bury those seeds before planting um, a weed non-competitive crop like carrots.
0: Yeah. And that was really interesting. Now you said um, ladies thumb weed. Is that similar to smart weed?
1: Uh, yeah, I believe they're related, but not, not the exact same.
0: Okay. All right. So just very similar. All right. Interesting. I may have been miss a uh, miss. Um, Naming that one, um and then obviously Gallant soak is very different than something, let's say, like purslane, because I believe purslane actually lasts in the soil for a very long time.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, and the the plant itself, it it can reroot. You know, so even if you're using uh-huh. sweeps and whatnot that cut it, it'll, it'll re-root. uh So you see what I mean in terms of cultural weed control. The um, you know, treat your weeds like a worthy opponent, and and take the time to get to know their personalities, and then you can kind of respond. Uh, the other thing that's fun and I haven't experienced this myself. I'm just, you know, I love talking to people and reading. So this is something I hear from others is, um, watching your weed community change over time and react to the conditions on your farm. Uh, which I think one can be very helpful as a farm manager and two, just as a human being, it's just interesting to watch how nature works. And so, Mm -hmm. um, as so many things, change on your farm over the years as your soil compaction changes, as your soil acidity changes, as your soil nutrients change, um, uh, and the crops that you're growing, the weeds in your weed seed bank. Over the years, um, what a lot of farmers see is that their top three weeds change, You know, and they might be the same for three to five years at a time. And then as they really change conditions, the, the weeds that kind of fit into that niche are gonna change too.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, now and then, perennial weeds are very different as well because perennial weeds are something that if you don't try to get the rhizomes typically out of the ground, you're just fighting that weed forever.
1: Yeah, a, a really helpful way to to think about um, perennial weeds that that I've been uh, that I've been taught is think about them at like a battery because a battery with a solar panel and those perennial roots are the battery, right? And if you've ever dug up, say, a dock root. Uh, you see how thick and fleshy they are, and they store all that energy in there. And so um, if you think about it like a battery, you you want to uh, time your tillage. And, and what scientists have found through trials is that um, uh, there's two kind of bad times to, to do tillage if you're trying to kill a perennial. One is when the perennial is dormant and has no above ground growth at all. And the reason is you can, you know, knock that, that tuber around. You can pull it up to the surface, do all sorts of things, and you'll kill some of them. But, um, that battery is fully charged, right? So if, if that dock went through the last summer and, and bulked up that root and now you're doing tillage and I don't know, April or early May, that battery is charged and ready to go. And so that's not the best technique. Um, at the same time, if, that dock is all leafed out, the solar panels are out and it's charging up that root again. Again, that's a worthy opponent. But if you can think about the life cycle of that weed, um, the weakest point in its life cycle for perennials is gonna be something like mid spring. And again, this is a rule of thumb, you can look up in the back of that managing weeds on your farm book for for particular weed. But the rule of thumb is in mid uh, spring when a perennial has between three and five leaves, that's a great time um, to, to attack it with tillage. And the reason is that its its battery is as empty as it's going to get because it went through all um, winter of, of being dormant, but also having to use some energy to stay alive. Um, and then it used up all of its energy in the spring to sprout roots and shoots and get that first solar panel of the leaves up. And if you wait a while, then the solar panel, the leaves are up and it's kind of recharging that root battery. But if you can do some tillage um, when that perennial weed is just having three or five leaves, that's the weakest point in its life cycle. And that's when researchers find that you have the best control.
0: Mm -hmm. Very good. Very good. Very good way to put it. Um, So talk to us. We could talk about weeds for hours. I know that's definitely something I'm really passionate about. I feel with this new farm here, we... Because the last farm we had in upstate New York, we were there for a decade. So I had some really cool tools, but here now I get really frustrated because I don't have those cool tools yet, as well as we're on much smaller fields. Mm. So, uh, you know, hundred foot beds are a lot more challenging than 300 foot beds because you're just constantly turning around and setting up your, your, your run, yeah. um, and that's why I think I, I really probably would be should be switching more to um, more of the walking tractors because we're still on a super C because that's what we have. But I really think it'd probably be smarter for me to be at the walking tractor size on this these sales scales. Um talk to us a little bit about how that has changed, kind of like the cultivation. Um, because like 15 years ago, that really wasn't something that a lot of people were thinking about.
1: Yeah. And and just to be clear, Michael, you're saying talk about uh walk behind tractors.
0: Yes, the two-wheel. Sure.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, shoot, I don't know, even five years ago, um, because there wasn't anything, anything new and you, and you had to have some mechanical aptitude. So I remember when we were on YouTube, seeing these videos of boo dog, that was uh, Uh Jason Weston's handle on, on YouTube. And he was showing all of his videos of planet junior tractors and, you know, the Tillmore company picked up on that and and off we go. So there's a lot of options now. Um, I I'm as a as a mechanical weed control nerd, I'm super excited about Walk Behind Tractors because they let people mechanically cultivate at a scale that's a lot more accessible and at a sort of machinery size that um, that fits people who don't have tractor experience and is both less less dangerous mm-hmm. um, and just less intimidating and financially the money required to get in is um, is a lot less prohibitive than uh, a tractor. And on top of that, the maintenance can be a lot easier. So for example, um, whether you get a 80-year-old Planet Junior tractor and slap a new um, Honda engine on it, or whether you get a Power Ox from Tillmore, the, the power for that tractor is a, is a simple, small engine. And one... Pretty much everywhere in America, there's lawn centers that can work on small engines. That's what they do. And two, if it ever really doesn't work, go you know to Menards or your local store and get a get a Chinese knockoff engine for I think maybe like 120 bucks. And so unlike trying to fix an Alice G or a Super A or these tractors that just have a lot more moving parts, it can be harder to get those parts. It can be harder to find someone to work on them. The two wheel tractors are just a lot more accessible um, maintenance wise. Yeah. So that, I, that, that's, those are the reasons I'm excited about them. And then um, they, yeah, they really allow people to mechanically cultivate at a smaller scale. I would caution though, you still want to be thinking about your cultural system. So uh, how is that tractor going to fit into your plants? Um, for example, are you going to plan to um, straddle your rows? So you've got the tractor, you know, running over the center of your row with tools on either side. Or is your tractor going to run in between the rows? Or do you also want to try and do pathways or tire tracks with that tractor? And whatever those answers are, you're a, a different wheelbase, a different width between the wheels is going to fit better for you and different cultivators are going to fit better. Um, so it's still something that that's helpful to think about. Um, but to your point about the hundred foot rows, that's another way that the walk behind tractors are great. Um, they just take up a lot less space and so, Areas where um, four-wheel tractors make a lot less sense, so you have to waste more space in headlands. Um, Yeah, the walk-behinds really fit a good niche there.
0: Yeah, and I think they're a lot less intimidating too, so to your point on that as well. Um, yeah, you're just not as scared about, you know, these, these, uh, big four wheel. And I think the other thing too, is a lot of the older cultivating tractors are just so, uh, so old as it is. I mean, the, um, like our super C the, the, the steering is really loose. And so to, you know, be, keep that row straight and not turn, take the carrots out. You really have to fight that tractor to make sure you're right where you're supposed to be. And the two wheel tractors got a lot more guidance and a lot more easy to handle.
1: Yeah. You know, Michael, you, you had said before the show started, you might want to talk a little bit about the role of extension or technical education in farming. And if this is an okay time, there's a big connection to be made here, I think.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Let's dive into it.
1: Yeah. So, well, just to your point about old tractors, you know, if you look at, at most other businesses, they generally aren't relying on, on 60, 80 year old tools. You know, Mm -hmm. like when the, when the HVAC guy comes to my house to fix, Um, the furnace, or when I go to the mechanic shop, they're they're generally relying on newer tools. And the reason is that the newer tools are more reliable or they're better. And Mm -hmm. so I was really struck, you know, in my time going around Europe, the farms tend to have kind of newer what I would think of like commercial machinery, just like any other business would have. And there's companies, you know, catering uh, for those needs and making those machines. And in the U.S., And especially on vegetable farms or or sustainable vegetable farms, a lot of the equipment we see is very old, either because there aren't options being made currently or just money-wise, it's hard to afford the newer options. And so it really made me see that that difference between um, investing in farmers enough where they're a sort of normal business like anyone else in society, um, or, or kind of not. Where, where at least business wise, they're kind of second class citizens. You know, I, I remember having an electrician or other skilled tradesmen out to the farm when I was farming, and kind of being a little ashamed about how we were doing things because it was so ragtag compared, mm-hmm. you know, to, to their tools. Um, and and I think that also gets to gets to training. And and I think in um, in Europe, I think both for better and for worse. Uh, um, vocational training is a lot more important and even required. And I, I say for better or for worse, because I also talked to um, farmers who were frustrated by all the red tape, you know, they couldn't rent farmland or even farm until they had past courses in farming and things like that. So it can definitely be onerous. Um, but I think it also uh, can raise the level of quality in any trade to have training available. And so you were just saying about to walk behind tractor like they're way less intimidating absolutely and they also a new one I think costs somewhere around 2700 bucks apologies to Mm -hmm. if I'm wrong yeah uh, that you you don't want to drop that kind of money to try something out right um and so I for me a, a big positive role of extension or agricultural training is giving people opportunities to try things um and one, because just financially, it's great to try and see if it's something you want before you put the money in. Um, but I also feel like that's the role of a lot of our institutions that have the resources to have these tools, to store them, to have demonstration plots. Um, that, that's really an incredible resource that they can offer to growers to try these tools. Um, and But I think the other thing that's really powerful about trying tools that that I've been learning about and working with the Hmong growers around Milwaukee is, there's as many different ways to farm as there are farmers. And so um, I might uh, be working with a Hmong farmer with a walk-behind tractor. And I think that the tool just did a good job, I like it. But for that grower, they have a different way that they wanna grow their eggplants. They're worried about different things than I am. They know that their peppers are gonna sunscald, et cetera, all these different things. And when farmers can try tools, they can really judge for themselves what's working and how it might fit into their systems. And so the, the work that I've been starting to do as an um, extension educator, for, for me, is, is, is really emphasizing hands-on training rather than um, PDFs and PowerPoints and YouTube videos, which can be fantastic, mm-hmm. uh, but, but I, I feel like a lot of times there's a, there's a lack of that hands-on training for farmers.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Small Farm University, the go-to resource for gardeners, homesteaders, and farmers around the world. Small Farm University delivers classes online and on demand with training on how to grow crops and how to grow a profitable farm business that serves you, your family, and your community well. Applying what you learn in SFU could save you thousands of hours and thousands of dollars. And it can save you the agony of costly mistakes some make just because they don't know what they don't know. Delivered by real farmers with hands-on experience and expertise, it is unique in its approach, using the ripened method for growing and building a farm or farm business. Here are a few highlights of what SFU has to offer in its growing library of resources. Find your perfect farm property. Whether you are renting or purchasing, this course guides you through vetting the farm property and determining how or if it suits your business needs. We give you the secret sauce for what makes a profitable farm property and help save you thousands of dollars. Start your farm intensive. Fleshing out your farm idea, craft your one-page business plan, and discover the right funding options for your business. Use our business templates, worksheets, and calculators to figure out the numbers as you go. Farmer's Market Success System. Learn how to attract and convert customers by building an unstoppable marketing and business system for your farmer's markets. Production Mastery Series. Learn all about growing, harvesting, and drying greens. Learn about tunnel building, and take special classes such as brand new and very popular Elderberry Masterclass. We include real-life examples and calculators for figuring out fertility rates, how much money you are actually making, and where your profit is coming from. Business systems and marketing courses. Learn about the SFU Ripen formula for success, develop your marketing plan, and join in for behind-the-scenes tours of real farm businesses. Learn the systems you need to run your business well and how to hire a team to help you and learn how you can add value to what you produce to generate even more income with minimal additional time and expense. In addition, members of SFU get access to the Growing Farmer Summits on demand with over 100 sessions of targeted areas of interest to farmers. These annual online events have attracted over 100,000 people from around the world, and they are included in your SFU membership as a bonus. SFU membership includes access to a private member group, monthly group Q&A sessions, and even one-on-one coaching sessions where you can get your questions answered and find the support you need. To learn more, visit growingfarmers.com today. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that kind of brings us directly into this field day that you guys are doing here. Tell us a little bit more about that because it is that hands-on being able to see exactly how to set something up or to see how these some of these new exciting developments are coming.
1: Sure. Uh, yeah. So, so for a weeding tool nerd, such as myself, uh, uh, the Midwest mechanical weed control field day comes, but once a year and, uh, is really like Christmas. Mm-hmm. And, um, I believe this is the sixth year of the field day. I started doing this with, uh, with Dan Brainerd when we were at Michigan state and, uh, just never stopped. Other, other farmers got a hold of me over the years and said, Hey, let's bring it to my state. Hey, let's do this. And, and, uh, So we've just kept going bouncing around to different states uh we've been in um uh, michigan and wisconsin and illinois and Michigan again and and this year we're out in ohio thanks to kurt bench and and the team at ohio state extension um this is a uh this is a field day to my mind in the best sense of the word and what i mean is um there's some talking but mostly people are seeing tools and they're seeing them uh, run through the field so um uh, the field day starts on a, on a Wednesday morning and growers show up and the morning is a trade show. And so all of the companies that are there to demonstrate in the afternoon, plus a lot of other companies who we didn't have room for, for demo plots for, they've got a, a trade show set up outside. And so that's an opportunity to connect with them, see their machines, look at their sales literature, um, ask them how their machine is gonna work on your farm, talk through problems. You know, I think a lot of time with reps, There's, um, you know, farmers have a certain amount of skepticism, you know, oh they're selling Mm -hmm. me something, which is fair. Mm -hmm. Uh, But speaking as a former rep, I think they also can serve as a resource because they're visiting so many farms and talking to so many farmers. And so it can be really helpful to just say, you know, hey, what are you seeing other people doing around the country, Um, and just get a wider perspective. So anyhow, Um, The morning is a trade show and also educational sessions so um, some successful vegetable and row crop growers from around um, Ohio and the Midwest Bob Jones um, from Chef's Garden and Gary McDonald um, from his consulting company will be doing uh, educational sessions on vegetable weed control and about setting up a row crop cultivator and so that'll be in the morning the other thing that's fun is there's you know there'll be god willing say 150 200 uh plus farmers there from around the Midwest. So it's also just really neat to meet all type of growers and ask questions or just make a personal friend. Uh, That'll be the morning. Then there's lunchtime. And then the afternoon, we get down to the meat of the field day. And that is field demos. Um, There's a field demo period in the morning. That's walk behind alley. So there'll be BCS. uh, America will be there showing off BCS tools. Um, There will be a a fair few different um, walk behind tractor um, tool companies there. So you can see Tillmore and uh, Will Stauffer and Small Farmworks and, and a lot of different um, two-wheel tractor weeding tools in the morning. And the afternoon is um, two separate demo plots. There'll be one for row crops, uh, there'll be corn at about four inches tall, and then there'll be another demonstration plot for vegetables that'll have direct seeded beets and transplanted broccoli. Um, one thing that I that I'm really proud of about our field day is because we focus just on mechanical weed control, we can uh, showcase all scales of weeding tools from hand tools, to walk behind tractors, to four wheel tractors, to you know uh, 16 row corn cultivators. And this year we have an autonomous laser weeder. And so kind of whatever scale growers are at, it's a good place to come and see all the type of machines for what might work for them now and also what they might want to consider, you know, in five or 10 years.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Absolutely. That sounds amazing. Um, what is the cost to attend?
1: Oh, it's 50 bucks. Um, gets you all that from, you know, eight in the morning till four in the afternoon and includes lunch.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's great. Um, and, um, remind us again, where this is being held.
1: Yeah, um, it's at the Ohio State University Research Farm in Worcester, Ohio. If you go online, uh, we've got quite the web presence, thanks to the fantastic team. Just type in Midwest Mechanical Weed Control Field Day, and the registration website will pop up and, you know, fun YouTube videos. And um, But it's Worcester, Ohio, uh, September 27th.
0: Yeah. September 27th, and that is a Wednesday, you said
1: you got it. Hopefully not a farmer's market day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We have a a farm store, so we're always uh, got someone going on, but we nice thing. I always have a team that can cover that. So I I will be able to make it up there for that. Um, Talk to us a little bit about how many, how many different weed control companies do you have that will be vendoring at this?
1: Uh, I should have this number in my head, but I lost count at over 20. So I believe uh, the trade show We'll have over 20 different companies, and these are both mostly weeding tool companies, but also kind of allied trades. So, um, um, three point hitches, fertilizer, potting soil you know, things that farmers would want to connect with anyway. Um, and then for walk behind alley, we've got I hope four different demonstrators. And then in the afternoon um, for the row crop machine we've got eight different um, demonstrators for row crops. So that's tine weeders, rotary hose, camera controlled hitches, uh, in addition to demonstrating a speed disc. And then on the vegetable side, we've got, again, another eight um, demonstrators. And that is tools on cultivating tractors. That is rear mounted um, uh, steerable toolbars for three point. That is brand new cultivating tractors, the Terratech and the um Tillmore. Uh it's the autonomous laser guided weeder. Sorry, not laser guided, but laser weeder it kills weeds with lasers from carbon robotics. And then we've also got a tillage demonstration um, by Machial for a reverse time stone barrier.
0: Mm. I believe that um, isn't uh Blaz um up there in the Lakeview Organic, isn't he using a couple of those robotic uh laser weeders?
1: Oh sorry, say that again, Michael. Who is that?
0: um, Claus Martins at, oh, uh, at Sure, Bl-
1: sure. So there's maybe, there's maybe a distinction to make here with those weeders. Um, one would be what we might call a camera guided hitch. And mm-hmm. so I think that's what Klaus is using. So that would be, um, a normal toolbar and sort of quote unquote, normal cultivator. You could have finger weeders, you know, cutaway discs, whatever fanciness you want, but still it's, it's, um, you know, a cultivator toolbar, but then the whole toolbar is guided by a camera. And so there's a camera that's looking ahead into the row, and um, the hitch itself will shift inches in either direction so that as you're driving your tractor, you know, generally straight, the camera-guided hitch is adjusting and keeping that cultivator centered exactly on the roll.
0: Um, Actually... Klaus, I think, sent an email. I uh, had a post out this spring that he, they do have some of those robot, the actual ones that have the uh, the lasers. Wow, incredible. And that's in row
1: crops, right? Because he
0: grows grains. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just looking here at his thing. Um, the post was, what date was that post? I'm just trying to scroll back through his. He's a, uh, well, they're harvesting malt barley there. That's a picture of them in the. I I swear that I saw it from him because there was quite the discussion, obviously, like, why would he go for that? Mm. And their biggest thing was, is that this allows us to work on other things on the farm. He says, yeah, the cost per acre, here it is. Um, Yeah, he said, works around the clock and never gets tired. I'm sure that we will have steep learning curve as we introduce this new technology to our farm. That was April 30th. So that'd be really interesting to find out from him, like, how it works now. Um, but, and maybe it's not a, maybe it's not a laser one. Maybe it's just an autonomous one because it has just giant, um, this giant, uh, solar panel on the roof. Yeah. Um, yeah, Yeah. it, it looks like it's just a, basically a complete, um, autonomous one. It's got regular weeding equipment in the front there. That's camera guided. It's not the, uh, the lasers.
1: Okay. Uh, it's it's been really interesting, you know. I've I've only been been in the the weeding tools at maybe a higher level for the past I don't know seven eight years or something. But it's been really interesting watching attitudes on these tools change. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the at the field day we'll have we'll have camera controlled tools from um, from Stechity and from Garford and all sorts of other companies. And whereas a few years ago. Um, whether it was a roll crop or a vegetable farmer, when you start talking about 30 or $50,000 for one implement, a lot of farmers have no interest, you know? Mm. Um, but what I've seen happen over the past few years, especially after COVID and the price of labor Absolutely. is that farmers are kind of doing a double take and, and thinking about that again, and especially farmers that you wouldn't think, think of. So for example, I was in Maine for a weeding tool field day uh, a few weeks ago And I met a farmer there who's organic on 10 acres and growing produce on 10 acres and grows a lot of onions and potatoes wholesale Uh to sell to other farms. And he had a $50,000 camera controlled cultivator. And I said, wow, I'm really surprised to see you have this because I wouldn't think a farm at your scale of production would would invest in Uh something like that. And he said, look, um, I'm a farmer, but I'm also a businessman. And so I can see my labor. And And even though I have a rear-mounted steerable toolbar, that means some person has to ride that and I have to drive the tractor. And that's two mm-hmm. people. And even on 10 acres, um, if I can be the only one driving the tractor, that $50,000 investment is going to pencil out pretty quickly. And so whereas before, I think farmers thought of the camera-guided tools as kind of a um, uh, something fun, you know, but not really applicable. Now with the cost of labor, uh, people are really giving them another look.
0: Mm, Absolutely. No, I agree with you on that. I mean, the thing is labor cost has gone up, but just the fact of even getting labor. I mean, you've got people that call out sick on days or get injured or um, you just can't get anyone. And so, you know, that aspect of, yeah, just being able to go out by yourself, and do something. And knowing that a camera, which is going to be way more accurate than you typically is actually doing the work is is super um, interesting. And I'm assuming for those, like those bulk crops he was doing, he was doing like maybe a couple acres of onions or a couple acres of carrots. You
1: got it. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly exactly what the grower said. He said, look, I, I don't want to manage more people. And it's all about, you know, knowing yourself and what you like. And he said, i really, it was rather just me and my wife
0: on the farm. And this allows me to do that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, give us um, the website. If folks want to go and learn about the uh, or go to come to the field day, what is the website for them to get more info on that?
1: Yeah. Um, either just, you know, feel free to Google Midwest mechanical weed control field day uh, or it's at uh, the land connection website, www.vlandconnection.org slash event slash twenty twenty three Midwest mechanical weed control field day and just google it. it'll come up or go to the Facebook page and there's links all over
0: yeah um I just went to the home page of that land connection yeah that's not there so you got to go under probably events yeah Vents. yeah yeah and then you can go to um then I'm just trying to think did it come up under events did I click on events I did click on events or calendar. I'm going to go to calendar and see what calendar does. Click for monthly view. I'm just trying to think the easiest way for folks to get to there. Yeah, it's not coming up there. So, all right. So you said backslash. What's the last little bit of that URL that I would go to
1: Ah, uh, It would be uh, www.vlandconnection.org slash event slash 2023 MMWCFD.
0: Okay. There you go, folks. All right. Well, um, and then obviously when this podcast airs, if you go right to our show notes page for that, so go to the thrivingfarmerpodcast.com and then just type in um, Sam or actually like weed. Um, uh, yeah, that the name of the event will pop right up in the search and we'll have a link right there as well so all sorts of ways to get there um hope to see you there again killing weeds is one of the best funnest things to do and um i mean there's so much we didn't talk about either i mean we could have talked about how changing the ph and the calcium levels can uh change uh weed pressure and um you know we didn't dive into steaming so there's so much to learn i know that day will be super helpful and super educational for all
1: yeah, yeah. And on the website, you can register and you can also see a list of the companies that are coming and a picture of their machines. And
0: yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. Well, Sam, thanks for your time today. Appreciate you coming on and sharing. Do you have a favorite weed control machine or tool or even just like blade?
1: Um, I would say, okay, first thing is, oh, wait, I better make this short. Uh, sure. My favorite are cutaway discs. Because Mm -hmm. one, I I don't think they're as common. And so it's just good that people know about them. And two, on heavier uh, soils with more clay, it's really nice to be able to cut away the soil close to the crop um, so that it doesn't rip out um, uh, clods of soil and kind of take your crop with it. Mm -hmm. So I really Mm -hmm. love
0: those cutaway discs. Nice. Okay. Well, I'm sure that they will have those cutaway discs at at the event. You got it. Okay. Well, thanks again for coming on and we can't wait to see you there.
1: Okay. Thanks so much, Michael. See y'all there.
0: Yeah. This year's Midwest Mechanical
1: Weed Control Field Day, the nation's premier event for cultivation tools, taking place on Wednesday, September 27th at the Ohio State University Farm in Worcester, Ohio. The field day connects farmers, machinery manufacturers, and researchers for a single day event that draws farmers from all over the Midwest. It is the place to see weeding tools of all scales for vegetables and row crops from two-wheel walk-behind tractors to camera-guided toolbars to autonomous laser weeders. Come for the trade show, education sessions, and field demonstrations. To register and learn more, call 217-840-2128 or visit thelandconnection.org.
0: So there you have it, another episode in the books.